drawing on some ethnographic data that I crewed during fieldwork, both in a meeting source inpatient unit in England, um, and also on pro-anorexia websites. I'm going to think a bit about um, ways in which um, pro-anorexia websites most commonly, very general terms, I know we can't kind of talk about uh, specificities in 15 minutes, but um, very general ways in which um, pro-anorexia websites are most commonly represented in the press, um, whilst also noting a couple of other entanglements between the media and the websites, which were highlighted by my informants. Um, for the sake of brevity, I'm not really going to uh, explicitly engage with the fact that pro-anorexia websites are, of course, themselves a form of media. Um, and instead, my few examples of the media will be particularly drawn from print media, um, British, some American, um, but of course this discussion is also informed by wider residencies and distances, background noises of what Sherry Ortner has termed public culture. So, to begin with, what are pro-anorexia websites? I'm sure everyone in this room pretty much knows, but I think maybe by the end of the talk that might become a bit more of a problematic question to answer. For now, most simply, pro-anorexia websites are websites that have been established and are participated in by individuals with anorexia, many of whom have been in treatment, and in the case of my informants in both field sites, many of whom were simultaneously in treatment. Um, people were accessing them from hospital computers, trying to anyway, and people on websites talk about their treatment as it goes on. Um, the central clue of the sites is that participants to them want to maintain their anorexia and resist recovery. Um, and in her interview, one informant already gave me their history, so I'll just let you read that. Um, Pranorex websites are quite complex, they are quite different, so they don't always follow the same template. But common elements include journal entries from the creator and often also from participants. And these can be very kind of mundane, everyday diaries like any of us would keep, but they're also they also can include really intricate, intimate, graphic practices of self-starvation, sometimes cutting. Um, the sites also have lots of discussion threads and lots of pages also of what anorexia is, which are often drawn from the DSM. Um, and these are lists of symptoms, lists of clinical complications, in fact. And um, these are there so you can check your symptoms. A lot of my informants talked about checking that they were doing anorexia right. And just to um, think about clinical complications, that can be about doing it right, unfortunately. Um, there are also on the site inspirational photographs, which I'll mention a little more in a few minutes. It's unclear how, how many anorexia websites there currently are, because waves of media and recently political attention, of course those two do fuel each other, um, have led the large service to keep shutting them down. So they get shut down, they move around, they reappear, and uh, there's a sort of shift in landscape. Um, many of my informants told me that after each wave or perhaps sort of spike of media attention, such as often during things like London Fashion Week, um, sites receive an influx of visits from people, from outsiders, who want to leave messages on the discussion boards. And these tend to be either imploring people to get better, and are often very sympathetic, or uh, simply hate mail. And then both of those you see there. 
uh, the hate mail can be pretty violent. Um, so perhaps the first question that arises is what is it about the sites that incites such passionate opinion? Or, rather, given that these messages are, as my informants pointed out, precipitated by media coverage of the sites, what is it that the press says that incites or stirs up such feeling? And that may not be the same question. So press coverage tends to jewelry position sites, and those participating in them are often portrayed either as unknowing victims or victims they don't really realise they have, or as predators trying to lure others into anorexia. Now, I know that's very binary, and obviously um, the press is not this homogenous lump, and coverage does, obviously, some of it is a bit more nuanced, but there is quite a prevalence of this sort of binary polarisation. Um, the former poll, the unknown victims, is seen here in the Sun's description of the sites as a disturbed community of anorexia sufferers who rely on sordid internet information to help them lose weight, or a little less salaciously and more clearly in the Times, um, where participants have no idea of the potentially deadly consequences of developing anorexia. The other depiction of pro-anorexia websites is predatory, obviously falls into wider cultural imaginings of the internet as a kind of actively dangerous space and even at very much a seductively sexually dangerous space. So examples of that are there. Um, and there, and I do quite like the, uh, the porn, there you do get references to pornography as porn uh, in the press. Not, not that commonly, but not infrequently. So arguably, actually, both polls, both of these two polls of predator and victim and hinge, albeit in quite different ways, on the prevalent media assumption that to be pro-anorexic means to deny one's illness, which we see here in the New York Times. Um, the claim that participants see anorexia as a lifestyle, not a disease, has taken on a kind of Victorian solidity as it circulates around the media. Often, uh, it's the byline. You get the headline, and then you get this kind of big, involved... It's a lifestyle, not a disease, in newspaper articles. Um, and that is not actually claimed on the majority of pro-anorexia websites. It is on some, but not on all at all. And I found amongst my informants in both field sites that anorexia is recognised as, as a disease, and also that this recognition does not preclude desire for it. So actually we could say that the virtual object is our remote, and it's borrowed from our remote, of the diagnostic category, it becomes part of what is desirable about anorexia and is also central to these sites. And recognising the central role that participants' relationships with their own anorexia as a legitimate illness plays on the sites allows us to see them as more complex and ambivalent spaces than is usually recognised in the media. So an attachment to anorexia on sites can be about adapting to compromised conditions of possibility when one already has and is already constrained by anorexia. So on the site you get kind of really intimate narratives of trauma and sadness um, and degraded physicalities. And these are shared, they share the space of articulations of pride. And both are woven through chat about everyday lives shaped by and in spite of anorexia. So the sites are kind of spaces of storied socialities, or a 
going for it, uh, from Kathleen Stewart. Um, and as such, many informants talked about primary websites as supportive spaces where they could be understood by others, where they weren't stigmatised. And that has been recognised quite a lot in academic um, literature, but less in the press. Um, and there's a bit about support. Um, so it's not like some evil cult trying to brainwash people into starving themselves. It's giving people support. Um, so, yeah. Um, it is, of course, clear that there is a danger potential to support. Um, informants did acknowledge this. Um, so you see Nora does call pronoxia an enabling group. But this danger potential lies in how support further normalises and thereby deepens participants' existing relationships with their anorexia. And the continuation of this existing relationship with an illness that many, many, many of my informants described as a friend, rather than a sort of simple questing for corporal emaciation, um, emerged as the central reason to participate in the sites in my informants' accounts. So these spaces are not so much just about the production of thin bodies, but places to kind of be anorexic. Now, it's this recognition of relationality and, and the temporality of stasis that contrasts to quite a lot of media coverage of the websites as competitive spaces. There's a sort of movement to media coverage, competitive, contagious, predatory. Um, there's, a there's a dynamic sense which doesn't come across in informants' narratives. And th they're often construed as places to become anorexic and to make others become anorexic. And we can trace the divergence of views between the press and between informants, um, between participants to the websites, through one particularly well reported aspect of the sites, which is the inspirational photographs. Now, the inspiration consists of pictures sometimes taken from magazines um, and sometimes taken both by and of participants themselves. And Vince Wilson <coughs> has received an enormous amount of media coverage. It's been described in the press as pictures of celebrities, um, I think which connects to what's already been said. And also it's always viewed as centrally about thinness, it's depictions of thinness. But my thoughts tended to talk about the inspiration as not about pictures just of kind of visual emaciation, but rather of pictures of diagnosed anorexics, and you can trace that through which the pictures <coughs> are depicted on the sites. They're normally ones who have been in treatment or who have admitted to having had an eating disorder. So Laura says, I know that the person I'm looking at is anorexic, and it appeals to my competitive side. Um, so obviously competition is mentioned there, but it's very much competition with yourself. So Laura suggests that she looks at inspirational images to continually re-cement her own relationship with her friend, as she described her anorexia. She competes with an ideal rather than a person per se. And um, the thing that she looks at in the inspiration is not a sort of central goal in the future, but rather indexical of an illness identity that she's holding on to in the present. So we could say that the inspiration is about being anorexic rather than being thin, with a very clear distinction, importantly not necessarily a dislocation obviously, but a distinction always drawn between those two things by my informants. But media coverage of the inspiration, on the other hand, tends to see it as evidence that anorexia websites are predatory contagious spaces for the production of thin bodies, as I mentioned. 
So the inspiration is written about as capable of turning people anorexic. And it's about such photographs that the language of seduction that I noted earlier is most commonly used. And I think this interpretation says a lot about the imaginings of both pro-anorexia websites and also anorexia itself on the part of the media. Such coverage is arguably underpinned by an image of anorexia as something that is not only kind of one-dimensionally about a quest for thinness, but that is also caught through the uncritical consumption um, of visual images, as Karen already, already said, and visual images of celebrities. Um, and that is particularly why, obviously, this oops, website coverage spikes around things like London Fashion Week. Um, so the idea that seeing thinness of the seeing the thinness of others turn into anorexia. But such press coverage of the inspiration and anorexia websites in general has had an active and paradoxical effect of attention <coughs> to websites as really pretty effective weight loss tools to outsiders. They emerge as places to kind of pop into if one wants to get thin. Um, especially as media reports have very often mentioned specific sites, so they are just advertising them. Um, so this has led to the visits of what are termed on the site anorexics. And about this, Ori, whom we met at the beginning, said this. Uh, this was a very clear linkage drawn by quite a few informants. And here, I think what's very interesting is Ori talks about teens and young adults are coming to the sites, and she draws a big comparison between who she thinks are the kind of original participants, who, whom she talks about as, as adults, and the people who are popular to get thin, um, whom she talks about as teenagers, and press coverage of the websites always talks about um, these websites being full of teenage girls. And in my data, that didn't emerge at all, there were all ages on the websites. So she, her distinction there is quite interesting. Um, so informants like already clearly feel that media coverage of the sites, and of the inspiration in particular, not only has discursively constructed a kind of derelational, one-dimensional anorexia in the public imagination, but also this is an anorexia that informants don't recognise, it isn't a friend. Um, but they also feel that this kind of spectacular spectre of anorexia is brought to life at the intersection of press coverage and science by the influx of anorexics. And because of this, Hadia, yeah, was not alone in pointing out that the sites have changed. So Tabori, again, uh, from Bojia, it is quite clear here that the map is engendering the territory to a certain extent. Um, many participants um, who I interviewed felt that press coverage has actually altered the landscape of the websites. So new content that is uploaded by um, the Wanorexics and new discussions that they have around thinness interferes with old archived content. Um, and also, Wanorexics upload, my informants felt, different kinds of inspiration, but in fact they upload pictures of celebrities. And so although to an outsider and the press, it probably looks very much like the same inspiration, um, my participants felt that it very much wasn't, that it had a completely different meaning. So the sites are sort of becoming flattened and changed and all about weight loss rather than this ambivalent, complex story in sociality. Um, and participants describe this change in interviews as silencing, disappointing, ostracizing, 
they were feeling that their support networks had been kind of changed and infiltrated and broken um, as these kind of simulated and dissimulated, diagnosed and discursive anorexias quite literally vie for space within the perimeters of the website. And in contrast to press imaginings of predators wanting to turn in a relentless there's actually a very frustrated and quite hostile reaction to this altering of the landscape um, by Wonderexics on the part of existing participants. And at this point, the diagnosis that I mentioned early on is kind of important to people's sense themselves comes back, and its clinical, um, clinical legitimacy is called <coughs> on more and more as a modality of boundary patrolling. So visitors to the sites, Wonderexics, asking how to become anorexic because they want to lose some weight, they say, are encouraged with often graphic accounts of the horror of anorexia, but also of the inability to choose it, where that resonates with this sense of compromised conditions of possibility that I mentioned, but also pride, that one is essentially anorexic, and that links to whole notions of my genetics anorexia and all kinds of things that's also talked about on the sites. And both of these flick through Hadia, and L's words here. So if you're if you're anorexic, then you do not need tips on how to not eat. And L talked about if you're a real anorexic, which uh, the discourse of authenticity is a different topic, but it is kind of based around this relationship by medicine. Um, so what we see in relation to anorexics is a kind of discursive um, solidifying and inhabiting of the boundaries of the illness by participants against uh, outsiders against the anorexic. And this has also led to a kind of paradoxical disinhabiting of primary websites themselves. So like a sort of evacuation of a ruined landscape almost, many um, informants described abandoning the sites and instead forming new ones um, that they term pro-acceptance, which are very much formed around the diagnosis. And the term acceptance also is partly, um, some people talked about trying, as a way of trying to get under the media radar so that they're not picked up and spread around. Um, and this recent establishment of pro-acceptance sites has meant that pro-anorexia sites, as they are left with their new inspiration and their new uh, discourse of thinness, uh, are now left just becoming, transforming more and more into what the media always thought that they were which is kind of spaces revolving around the production of thin bodies. Where this leaves anorexia, on the other hand, is perhaps open to debate. 